If you would, please turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 2. Today we're going to focus in on verses 8 through 12. In the previous weeks, we've looked at the events preceding the birth of Christ. We've looked at his family tree. Last week, we looked at the birth itself. But this week, we will consider the birth announcement. What do most birth announcements look like? Think of visiting people in hospitals and they're... I don't know, there will usually be either a blue or pink sign hung on the hospital room door, and it'll have uh, the baby's name and length and weight. Um, it'll say it's a boy or it's a girl. Uh, I know that sometimes a picture might be mailed out to family and friends, somewhat like a Christmas card, but just announcing the birth of a child. I know that at uh, the church I previously served, uh, the deacons would place a sign in the family's yard uh, that said, Madison Heights Church welcomes another covenant child. And if if we keep having babies like that, I'm going to have to get one of those made for us. I know, as I said earlier, this past week, Josh and Tori had had their baby, and they went in Wednesday, and I was texting with Josh on Wednesday and said, keep me posted, and hadn't heard anything, and then Thursday morning, I couldn't stand it anymore, and so I'm like, well, at the risk of bothering him, I'm going to text him, and so I said, how are y'all doing? And then about 30 minutes later, I got the response that said, he's here, mom and baby are doing good, and that was wonderful news to receive. Well, today we have a birth announcement. And no offense to little Rowan, but this is the birth of a king. So what might a royal birth announcement look like? Well, I found an illustration of this from recent history. Um, I found out how the royals in England do a birth announcement. Any of you know this? It's really, it's, I found it really interesting. And, and I'm just going to, for the sake of clarity, focusing on Kate Middleton giving birth to their first. Kate and William are at the hospital giving birth to their first child, George. And there's someone there, one of their staff, one of probably William and Kate's staff, they had a a sheet of creamy A4-sized printer paper. At the top of this piece of paper was a seal, the seal of Buckingham Palace, and it, this is a royal declaration. It's not simply A4 printer paper. This is a royal declaration. And below were the words, were typed the words, Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Cambridge, was safely delivered of a son at 4.24 p.m. today. Her Royal Highness and her child are both doing well. And I saw a picture of this, and you have those couple sentences typed out, and then underneath there are several uh, lines where there are signatures. And those signatures belong to the physicians that played a part in delivering the baby. So the baby is delivered. This is typed up really quickly, printed out. All the physicians 
sign it. It's then handed to a uh, press officer uh, for the royals, and the press officer walks this piece of paper from the hospital room downstairs to the front door. It's then handed to a waiting driver. It's placed in a vehicle, driven to Buckingham Palace through London with a full police escort to Buckingham Palace. And at some point, whether in the car on the way to the palace or at the palace itself, this document is framed. And then finally, the royal declaration, this framed document of the birth of a prince is walked out and set on a gilded golden easel at the front gate of Buckingham Palace for all the world to see. And I think that's been the practice for every British royal born since the mid-1800s. I think William was the first one to be born in a hospital. The rest were born in the palace. But this practice of... uh, Announcing the birth in this way. The use of this golden easel in front of the palace has been the same since the mid-1800s. It has served as the sign that the eager public looked for. It was the sign that signified that a new royal baby had been born. And there's a lot you can learn from that announcement. The, the, the way that this announcement is made. It, we, we learn more than just the baby's name, the baby's length and weight, and that both mother and child are doing well. It teaches us something more. You know, I found an article in the UK Daily Mail. And of course, the question is asked, uh, you know, we're, we live in a modern world. Why go through all this trouble? Why not just tweet it out that Her Royal Highness was delivered of her son at 4.24 p.m.? I mean, both Clarence House and Buckingham Palace both have their own Twitter accounts. Why not? Why go through this whole process? Well, a palace spokesperson answered that question, and he said, we wanted to retain some of the theater of the notice. It is quite important to us that this be done properly and with the degree of dignity that the event demands. This is the birth of a child who will be in line to the throne. It is a rare occasion and it is nice to be able to do it with some historical precedence. So why announce the birth in this way? Why maintain this pageantry. Well, he says, because the royal family has been doing this for 150 years. But more than that, it it communicates something. It communicates that this could be our future king or queen. This is important. And so what is done, the dignity and reverence and respect given to this announcement is important. Well, what about the birth of the Lord Jesus? The scriptures refer to him as Lord from his birth. He's called the Prince of Peace. What about his birth? Well, as we'll read, there 
is no gold-encrusted easel, and there's no framed document. But there is a lot that we can learn from this birth announcement, and that's what we're going to look at today. But first, let's ask for God to bless the preaching of his word. Uh, Father God, would you be with us today? We know that your word is breathed out and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, uh, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that that your uh, people uh, might be uh, prepared for the good works that you have for them. Uh, Would you uh, be with us during this time? As your word is read and preached, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, for sake of context, I'm going to begin in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. So what can we learn from this announcement? First thing is we need to take note that God chooses to share this announcement with the lowly. Look at verse 8. This is the same region as Bethlehem, maybe a couple miles outside of town. There are shepherds watching over their flocks. What do you know about shepherds? These were people of low social standing. People thought of as insignificant in their society. They would be the exact opposite of Prince William and Kate Middleton. No one is impressed by them. No one is rushing to share any news with them. They are not seen as important. Later on in Jewish society, they will grow to be so despised that they will not be allowed to testify in a court of law because they're viewed as so untrustworthy. And yet they are the first people who hear the announcement that the Christ has been born. I think this teaches us something very important. It teaches us who it is that Christ came for. 
these shepherds that no one loves and no one trusts and no one views as significant or important. This is who Jesus came for. He'll say himself in Luke chapter 5, healthy people don't need a physician. It's the sick that do. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. We have evidence of that motive here. With the shepherds being the first to hear the news. It's not the priests. It's not the scribes. It's not the Pharisees. It's not King Herod. It's not the social elite of Jerusalem. It is shepherds. J.C. Ryle comments and says, quote, The things of God's kingdom are often hid from the great and noble and revealed to the poor. The weak of the world are often called before the mighty. The last are often first and the first last. End quote. Paul will write something similar to the Corinthians. He, he, he gets at this. He'll tell them, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what was low and despised in the world so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Isn't that something we learn about in this announcement? God chose those who were low and despised so that all might know that this salvation he is bringing is all of grace. And if there's any boasting for us to do, it is, it is in him and not in, our show, not in ourselves. You know, think back to the Beatitudes we studied this summer. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I hope you remember what poor in spirit means. Blessed are those who recognize that, spiritually speaking, they are impoverished. We aren't simply talking about financial poverty. Blessed are those who realize that they must have help from the outside in order to have any hope at all. Blessed are those who recognize that they are fully dependent on the grace and mercy of another. To be poor in spirit is to sincerely acknowledge your own spiritual bankruptcy. Remember that great quote from Thomas Watson, that we are spiritual beggars living on the alms of free grace. These are the people that Christ came for. He says that those who are poor in spirit possess the kingdom of heaven. And you might not be a shepherd, but the lowly and the humble and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, a righteousness that they do not possess themselves, Those are the ones who are viewed as unimportant. 
by the powers of this world. And those are the ones this announcement comes to. So this announcement is made to the lowly. The next thing we see is that this announcement comes from God himself. You know, just as with the British royals, their footman is sent out to place this announcement on an easel. And at the top of the document, there is the seal of Buckingham Palace. Well, who brings this news? An angel of the Lord, a heavenly servant, a ministering spirit. You know, we've already seen angels make appearances several times in this story, and here we have another. But the difference here is that we're told the glory of the Lord shone round them. These shepherds are in a field at night. Perhaps the only light they could see were some torches flickering in the village below them. And all of a sudden, things get very bright and very heavy. This is a heavy brightness. And I know that's somewhat difficult to describe because this is not simply that all of a sudden there's a spotlight upon them. It's more than that. It's as if a thick, heavy light that completely surrounds them and encompasses them falls upon them. I mean, we see this language used elsewhere. In Exodus, the glory of God is described as a cloud or as a devouring fire that was consuming the top of the mountain. It was a cloud that fell down on the tabernacle and filled every square inch of it. That's what comes down the night Christ was born, this thick Heavy, blazing light. And we just sang about this. In our hymn, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence, we sang, rank on rank, the host of heaven spreads its vanguard on the way as the light of light descendeth from the realms of endless day that the powers of hell may vanish as the darkness clears away. You know, just as the glory of the Lord came down on Mount Sinai and just as the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds the night of Christ's birth. And why is that important? This is a, a seal. You know, that seal at the top of the document signaling that this birth announcement comes from the king or it would be the queen in, in George's instance. But here... This glory is signaling that this announcement is coming from the king who inhabits the realms of endless day. This is an assurance that the one born in the manger isn't a counterfeit. It's not some usurper whose parents are trying to claim the throne. No, he is the one in line to the throne. This announcement comes from God himself. And this isn't the only time we'll see God the Father do this again. At the, at the baptism of Jesus, do you remember what's said? There's a voice that speaks from heaven and says, Behold, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is our King. 
He's vetted. We can trust him. We can listen to him. We should listen to him. And if he's the one that God the Father is pleased with, then wouldn't God the Father also be pleased with those who have fled to him in faith and been washed in his blood and are hidden beneath his banner and consider him our only and best hope in life and death? I think the manner of this announcement assures us that it comes from God Almighty and therefore we can stake our lives totally on the Christ child. Well, we probably need to get to the actual content of the birth announcement before we run out of time. What does the angel say? We see this in verses 10, 11, and 12. These familiar words we hear every Christmas. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. First, the angel tells the shepherds, fear not. He says that because the shepherds are terrified. Just like everyone else in Scripture who encounters an angel, it's the first thing that's said. Do not be afraid. Why are they afraid? Are these just some scary angels like we read of in Ezekiel? I don't think the fear comes from the angels being inherently scary. I think it comes from the angels being inherently holy. These are supernatural creatures who minister in the presence of God Almighty. The holiness of God shines on them and is reflected by them just as the moon reflects the light of the sun to earth. These heavenly servants reflect the blinding perfection and holiness of God to those they visit. So what's the reaction of fallen men and women? Well, they're undone. They encounter the holiness of God and they are undone. You know, like, like Isaiah. Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on the throne. And there were angels there. Seraphim. Seraphim means burning ones. And they're flying around the throne room of heaven. And Isaiah sees this and what does he say? Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I believe that's why the shepherds are afraid. Because upon encountering the holiness of God, they are immediately made aware of their own depravity and impiety and godlessness. Fear is the only, it's the appropriate response to encountering the glory of God. But the angel continues. Though these are crude, sinful shepherds, the angel says why they are to fear not. Why should they not be afraid? 
because I bring you good news of great joy. I'm not bringing news of judgment. I'm not bringing news of condemnation. I'm bringing you gospel. Is that what good news means? I'm bringing you gospel. The angels aren't bringing the shepherds a 12-step process that will fix their lives. The angel isn't bringing the shepherds the law and a list of steps they may take in order to earn the favor of God. No, the angel brings gospel. You know, the law is something that you do. Gospel, good news, is something God has done. And this whole narrative is pointing to that. This is something God has done from the virgin birth to this announcement. The angel is bringing good news, and it's for all people. You know, we talked a couple weeks ago about the Gentiles being grafted in. And this good news would go to the Jews first. I mean, when the Holy Spirit is first poured out, it happens in Jerusalem, not Athens. Paul would go straight to the synagogue when he entered a new city. At the beginning of Romans, Paul says that he is not ashamed of this good news because it is the power of God that brings salvation to those who believe. And this good news is offered to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. And we've seen this in Acts. The good news is shared in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and then to the end of the earth. This gospel goes out to all people. And you and I would be included in that all people. You know, this birth announcement may have been told to shepherds first, but you have been included as a recipient of this announcement. This good news of great joy for all people is said just as much for you as it was for them. And the the angel gives them the time and the location of the delivery. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. So this, uh, this child was born today in the town of Bethlehem, which is nearby, not far off. And then we really get to it. Why is the birth of this child good news of great joy for all people? It's because of the titles given to him. It's because of who he is. There are three titles revealed in this announcement. You know, in the, in the British uh, royals announcement, Kate Middleton is referred to as Her Royal Highness. What are the titles ascribed to this newborn child? Each of these could easily have their own sermon. You aren't going to get that. You're just going to get a small little two-sentence description. What are the titles? He is one, a Savior. Who is two, 
the Christ. Three, the Lord. In these titles, we behold the very reason this announcement is good news of great joy. And that it is that Jesus is Savior, Christ, and Lord. You know, he's the Savior because he's the one who will deliver his people from their oppressors. You know, in the, in the book of Judges, the people of God would be oppressed and they would cry out and God would raise up one judge after another to save them. But here the shepherds hear of a greater Savior who will accomplish a greater deliverance. He will free his people once for all from their worst oppressors. Satan, sin, and death. The angel tells this to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, doesn't he? He says, Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Not from the Romans. It's bigger than that. He is the Savior who will save his people from their sins. And as a sinner, I find that good news of great joy. He's also Christ. Again, I'll remind you that Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It's a title. He is the Christ. Christ is Greek for the Hebrew Messiah. Messiah was the promised one, the, uh, the, the, the promised one, the, the deliverer. The anointed king who fulfills the covenant promises that God made to David. And all the messianic texts in scripture, in the Psalms, they're all speaking of and waiting for this child. And for these Jewish shepherds receiving this announcement from heaven that their Messiah had been born would be joyous news. He's Savior, He's the Christ, and He's also Lord. How wonderful it is to know that the Savior and Messiah is also Lord. Uh, To quote a mentor of mine, Dr. Chuck Frost, he came and preached my installation service here, and he had this line he uses in every sermon, God can and God cares. And we see the care of Jesus. He is Savior. He is Messiah. And then in the title, Lord, we see that He can. That this salvation is not too much for Him. He is the Lord of all. This is the title for God Himself. And just as we saw pictured in the Exodus, God Himself is the one who will deliver his people. And knowing those titles, that he is the Savior, who is Christ, the Lord, we can begin to imagine why this is good news of great joy. And we can imagine why the shepherds, after experiencing the glory of God descending on them, why they would go with haste to find Mary and Joseph And the baby. That's what we're celebrating during this Christmas season. That a king was born. 
It has been announced to us. And he is our Savior. And he is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that like the shepherds, we would be those who make haste to behold this child. And we know that though he is with us in spirit today, his physical resurrected body is in glory, sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning. And yet, Lord, you tell us over and over again in your word that you are nearer than we think. That was the case for these shepherds. The Christ child was nearer to them than they thought. And you have promised that when we seek you, you are to be found. And so, Father, I pray that we would be those who seek you as well. That we would seek you in prayer. That we would seek you in your word. That we would seek you in those times of quiet, private devotion. That we would rest in this time of busyness and gifts and parties and food and full calendars and long work hours, would we be reminded of who this child is? And would we be those who seek him as well? That he might be found and we might never be the same. It would be for our good and your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.